0: Hello, and welcome to episode number three of Toller Talk by High Country Tollers. I'm Randy Harold, and today's episode was originally going to be Introduction to Birds. But as I started to record it, I figured out that uh, most of the front end of the episode was going to be on getting your dog ready for Introduction to Birds. So I decided to switch it over. And just stay with that topic today. You know, I realize that a lot of my episodes and podcasts are going to be on hunt training. But there is one thing to remember that training is training. And having a good, well-trained, well-behaved dog is probably our ultimate goal. They'll be more fun for the family. They'll be easier to live with. And they'll be more of a joy in your life. Uh, Having said that, uh, this episode will be great for people who don't hunt train just as a foundation for their dog. Because in this episode, we're going to be laying a foundation for the pup's life in the field. And not just a good foundation for the field, but for your relationship and your future training. This information... Is valuable for anybody with a dog not just for the field but for anybody who participates in all pet sports and more especially the pet owner and the home home dog As a rule I'd like to think that puppies come with a few things to fix because they don't come broken they come to us looking to find their place in the pack They're looking for acceptance into that pack, and the whole world is new and interesting to them. This is a great time to create that bond, and to lay down the social rules of the pack, you know, your home. And make your future commands a desire to follow, instead of a struggle and a fight. In episode 2, I talked about not training bad things into your dog, to always be cognizant of what you were training. A lot of times in field training, it's a damned if you do and a damned if you don't. You might run one exercise that teaches the dog one thing, but teaches them something awful on the other end. And that's what we're trying to to prevent for not just field, but all of our dogs. So by covering some of the stuff that we're going to cover in this episode, we're going to lay a really strong foundation that's really going to make your dog want to work with you. Be happy about going out to train. It'll be a fun, enjoyable time for both you and your dog. And hopefully you guys get out to train and have the time of your lives like I do with my dogs. I know my dogs really look forward to going out to train, going out to hunt, anything we can do along those lines. But we've made training fun. And I start all my dogs out this way. So just remember, it's easier to treat this up front while they're young instead of having to fix problems that come along when not doing it. And in doing this, your pup gets to discover how much fun training is. You're going to be building a desire to work with you and how much fun you are as a trainer. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed and overtaken by the excitement of getting a new puppy. They're cute. They have puppy breath. They're fun. They like to play. And I think that's all wonderful. And it sure is a good time in our house. But when we ignore some of the basics that we need to teach them up front. Because, well, they're just built of puppies. And we'll get them into obedience classes. And we'll teach them some of that stuff. Uh you end up ignoring some of that stuff and getting some pretty nasty habits out of it. Now is the time when they're really little to establish some of those boundaries. Uh, When they bark, letting them know to leave it or no or no bark. Uh, When they jump on you, nipping that in the butt right away, Uh, pawing at you, putting their teeth on you on top of potty training. Uh, all these things go into the development and the future. And right now, they're really young. They don't know anything. They're looking for our guidance. or looking for acceptance with us. And they're looking how to survive in our environment. And I think it's a much better idea if we teach them how to coexist with us under rules that are favorable to their behavior rather than coming back and asking trainers in the future and people in the future, how do I get my dog to quit jumping on everybody? How do I get him to quit running to the door and barking at every little noise he hears? Why is he always chewing on me? Is he teething? Uh, What can I do about some of these problems? Well, if you follow what we're about to talk about, a lot of those won't be issues for you in the future. There's a lot of people that know me know I talk about Trapper a ton. One of the things about Trapper that Trapper and I had was that Trapper and I were on the same page. And I think I said in another episode that we've been accused of sharing the same brain. And that's really true. And it's really a huge compliment when it comes down to it. It doesn't mean that he's as smart as a human or I'm as dumb as a dog but I really knew what he was thinking and he really knew what I was thinking. We had that kind of bond and it made when we worked together either absolutely hilarious or magical. There were times when Trapper thought he knew more than me and it would get a little bit challenging. I'd be standing out in the middle of a field with a whistle and he'd be sitting out in the middle of the field stomping his front feet And, uh, telling me where he wanted to go rather than me telling him where to go. And those, those are problems that'll creep up a little bit later. But I think that bond is what's so very important. There was never a time with Trapper or any of my dogs, really, when they were off leash that I worried about him bolting and taking off, um... or leaving me or running away. I always knew that they were going to be checking back in with me and that their interest was really to be with me. There was one time our property is divided by a fence and out in the back half of it I usually work on cars or my campers or trailers or whatever and I had Tramper out there was working with me one day and I came back in through the gate and did what I was taught shut the gate right behind me and went in the house and about five minutes later, I I heard a woof, woof, just real calm. And I thought, oh, my God, I left him out there. And I went back out to the gate, and he was standing there telling me, hey, let me in. A lot of dogs would have bolted. A lot of dogs would have left and smelled their way around the neighborhood until they eventually got picked up by somebody or animal control. But mine stayed there. And wanted to be back in with us. And that's because of the bond we have. And the bond we had created. And so today we're going to actually teach you how to do that. So before we get started on that, I will tell you that I always talk about compartmentalized things. There are things that you want to do at home. There are things that you want to do out on the sidewalk or at the local ball field. And then there are things you want to do in the field. Some of those things you work on at home may eventually come into play in the field, like force fetch, or they may not. But I will tell you that I'm a really strong believer that the first thing that any puppy should learn is the command here and the command sit. Both of those commands are safety commands. Here means you must come here no matter what's going on. There could be bombs coming There could be fireworks going on around you. If I say here, I expect you here and in front of me. It's the best way to keep your dog safe. Your safe word, if here doesn't work, is going to be sit. Hopefully you teach sit so repetitiously and so much that it's second nature. When you say sit, no matter what your puppy's doing, his butt hits the ground. And it doesn't mean that you're going to teach Sit tomorrow or hear tomorrow, and his butt's going to be hitting the ground in two, three days. All these things we talk about take repetition, they take time, and quite honestly, with the toller, because of their brain, sometimes you have to be a little bit creative about teaching them anything. So don't be afraid to really analyze your dog, see what they're doing, and think outside of the box and try new stuff with them to uh, get the behavior you're looking at and always reward that behavior. And while we're talking about rewarding behavior, I will tell you that uh, another hypocritical moment for me, I do use treats, and I've used treats frequently. My goal when I use a treat is to get them off the treat and to start seeking my praise, my acceptance of them. So I try to curb them less and less, but with little puppies, I understand. But be careful when you're using those treats that you don't end up with a dog that's 100% food motivated when he could be motivated to be pleasing you in that relationship. Believe it or not, you know, they're pack animals and they get tremendous joy out of being a part of the pack and knowing their place, doing their job, and really knowing what's expected of them in the pack. That's where they're really happy. So it's quite possible to curb off a treats, and actually get them doing what you want them to do just out of a willingness to want to please you and be a part of your pack. We can talk about sit and hear and heal and stay and Uh, how to train a puppy in later episodes, but right now, today, we're going to be talking about building that connection with you and your dog, and I will say up front, a lot of people say put a long line on a puppy. I'm going to ask you today with this exercise not to put a long line on a puppy. In fact, it actually defeats the purpose. Uh, Also, with an eight, ten-week-old puppy, they just aren't developed enough to be being yanked around or have be running and have somebody step on a line and stop them. We really need to let them develop. And on that note, I will tell you, as you venture in, there are things you can do in the field, and we're going to be talking a lot about them with a puppy, that you really want to curb the time. You want to make sure you're having success with what you're doing, that the puppy's having a good time but that you aren't running them ragged, overrunning them and overworking them. Remember, they're just little guys and they have these growth plates that need to close. Uh, They have maturing that they need to do. They need to absorb things and really understand things. So take your time. It's not a race. I think it's great if you have that little rock star puppy that's uh, been trained to sit by nine weeks and, Wags his tail, is real happy, nose down, is working on heel. Um, and I think you should teach them as much as you can while they're young because they're little sponges. But I also think that putting too much pressure on them can be counterproductive in the future. And I'm going to talk a little bit later about a philosophy I have about pressure being learned, uh, and it goes hand in hand with confidence. And you're going to hear me a, talk a lot about building a a pup's confidence, a dog's confidence with some of the exercises we do and how to do that. And I think it's a lifelong training exercise with your dog as is sit, hear, heal, fetch, any of them. They all need tuning up, but confidence is really something you're always building on. And I think when you have the bond we're going to be talking about and the confidence is when you really strike gold with a puppy and start seeing really great things. Um, I know obedience uses a lot of treats and I just talked about treats, but I would challenge you guys to listen to this podcast. I'm going to give you another trainer's podcast name that you can go listen to, and the episode that talks more in depth about what we're going to be talking about, to go listen to her. But give it a try. Once you do this, you will never, ever, ever do it with any without doing it with any other dog. Once you do this and see how magical it is, you will do it with every dog you ever own in the future, whether it be a field dog, a test dog, a hunt dog, or you know, a, a crocodoodle dial dog, you will do it with everyone. It's just absolutely magic and it really does set the tone for a relationship with you and your dog. Having that, instead of boring you with opinions and philosophies, let's get right into it. We can take them out and work on socialization, and and that's great. And I hope you're socializing your dogs on both sides. And we'll talk about that later, too. But one of the best and most meaningful things you can do is to take your dog on what I call the walk. Uh, I was doing this with my dogs before I even knew what the walk was. It wasn't until I heard it explained by a friend, Julie Knudsen, that the light bulb went off and I was able to articulate it, put it into words and a philosophy and think about it. But I had done this with my Cocker Spaniels that I had, my Goldens, um, my Sheltie, uh, any of the hunting breeds that I had owned. And I did it naturally pretty much because of what I was doing in the way of life. You know, being outside, being in the outdoors, having kind of a sporting lifestyle. But hearing Julie articulate it for me and having that life bulb go off, I was able to use her advice to kind of fine tune this. And oh my God, is it good stuff. So uh, I'm going to tell you, explained by julie kind of what it is but i'll be paraphrasing because she's so much more articulate than i am and i will tell you that uh julie is the lady that let us use her property uh gun gun club labs and she lives out in orchard colorado she let us use her property for the national specialty uh she's a great trainer someone i consider to be a good friend And really, really knows her stuff. Uh, I could work on training dogs for the next 40 years and never learn what she's learned in the past 10. She's also got a pretty good podcast. that's called Training the Pointing Labrador Retriever. And her podcast, episode 90, is entirely the subject, the walk. So if you still have questions on it when I'm done go listen to her podcast and you can either hit me up with a question on the website com, or feel free to ask Julie. I also want to say I was talking to Julie and told her I'd be using her name and referring her podcast in this this podcast and she you know very nicely said that I didn't need to give her credit um, that you know this is a concept that's Been around for a while. I think she was one of the first to really coin it. And you see a lot of other professional trainers uh, plagiarizing it and taking it. And she's really happy about that because she wants the information out. So I said I was doing it by accident. And I want to talk a little bit about that. The reason I was doing it was because I wanted to be able to take my dogs with me and have one of those cool dogs that just always hung out with you. And I noticed early on that little puppies, they want to stay with you. They want to, you know, find their place, find security, and you be a part of your pack and have that security. So they stay kind of close. The other thing I realized that I was taught by my dad with my golden retriever was that a lot of times if you force something, you get a negative behavior on the other end. The example is, is I had a golden retriever was a great dog. His name was Sam. And uh, growing up when we lived up in the mountains and uh, my dad would open the door and let Sam out because they all ran free up there. And when it was time to come in, my dad would uh, go to the door and yell, Sam, you son of a bitch, get your butt in here. And Sam would look at him, wag his tail, and run the other way as fast as he could. It was a game to him. And it was a forced game. If either my mom and I, or I, went to the the door and said, Hey, Sam, here, here, he'd come running up and come right in. You know, uh, you see it with puppies. uh, When people put leashes on them first and the puppy's resistant to it. Or a dog that hasn't been leashed up or walked much, you put a leash on them and they automatically want to pull away from you and get away from you. So what I would do with my dogs is when they were little puppies, i just take them out with me and let them hang out. And I know that sounds oversimplified and we're going to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of it, but that's pretty much what the walk is. The walk is an exercise that teaches a puppy to focus on you from an early age. It also gives them security outside of the home, knowing you're there, but gives them the opportunity to stretch those boundaries a little bit while staying safe and secure. It's designed to naturally build that confidence, give your pup an awareness of you, and also if you're really smart about it, you'll start watching your pup and you'll start picking up on some of those behaviors. Is your pup a pretty laid back pup? Is he keeping up with you but kind of discovering? Is he running hot? Uh what does he respond to? What does he how does he respond to the environment around him? By Learning all those things while you're doing the walk, you can actually cue in on that pup. And it'll give you a basis for how to train that dog and communicate with that dog in the future. It'll also give you the basis of being able to read your dog and knowing when good things are going on and when bad things are happening. I want you to understand, and I really want to drive it home, that this exercise is for much For you reading your dog, as it is for your dog learning to read you and you guys coming together as a team. And like I said, you know, there's no greater pleasure on the face of the earth than working with a dog that you're in a team with, in a relationship with, working together for a common goal rather than uh, a war of wills and headaches and who's going to win this one. So, when we go on the walk, we've got to remember a few things about it. That this is not your typical walk. It's not putting a leash on and going to the park. It's not walking around the neighborhood and socializing. It's not going to that soccer field and throwing the ball for them or just getting them out there to let them smell. It's a totally different concept. If houses and buildings and relationships are built on strong foundation, this has got to be the cornerstone of that foundation. So to start, what we're going to do is we're going to find a place where you can take the puppy that's safe. It has to be safe. Nowhere where the puppy can run out into a road. Nowhere where there might be predators, snakes, uh, coyotes foxes. And here in Colorado, I, I worry a little bit about the hawks in some of those places because we get some pretty big hawks and eagles out here that have eyeballed some of my dogs before. You want to find a place that's natural and has some cover in it, maybe like a CRP field, and, uh, but low cover. You don't want the puppy struggling to get through it. Uh, or a mountain meadow or Something along those lines. You want to make sure that there's physical features that aren't going to hurt them too much. No real deep ditches, no ravines, uh, no big rock outcroppings or anything like that. What we do want to do is get them in that natural environment and away from the soccer fields where 10 other dogs have peed on it and, you know, the playgrounds and the dog parks. Uh, On that note, I would tell you that I would never take my dogs into a cesspool that we call a dog park. There's just so many better options uh, than the germs and the crap that can float around the dog park. And remember that most of those people have dogs that they're taking there that are not trained. And that can put your dog in a little bit of peril or danger the next thing I need to tell you is that you're going to take your puppy out there and you're going to go alone and when I mean alone I mean you and the puppy not you and the other pup that you have in the house or the other dog because well it's just not fair and that other dog needs to run around not you and your wife or your husband you and the puppy now if you're In a marriage or in a relationship where you're both going to be working with the puppy, I think that's great. But I think you need to pick one primary trainer, and that doesn't mean the other person cannot train. So let's say I'm going to take my puppy out, and I'm going to do the walk. Well, I want Wendy to go out and do the walk. I want that bond to be very strong with her, too. But I am hoping that she will take the puppy out and do the walk with the puppy after I've already gone through the exercise. And hopefully what the puppy and I have learned together will translate into what she and the puppy learned together. It'll make it easier on her, and they'll come away with the same bond. The problem with taking two people out is, is that you need the puppy to focus on you. And you need to focus on the puppy. If you take another dog in your household out, One of the problems that you can get into is that that puppy may look at that dog as more of the leader of the pack than you. It might find more comfort in that dog and start following that dog instead of keying in on you and building that relationship with you. I am a really big fan of when you bring a puppy into a house that has another dog to separating them frequently for training, for outings, for socialization, to make sure that your puppy gets the fair chance of building the confidence in those situations to be able to handle them on his own in the future. The next thing we're going to have you do is leave your cell phone inside or in the car and turn the ringer off. This is a very quiet exercise. It's not going to take a lot of noise. In fact, you should be making zero noise, and you don't need the distractions. What you need is to establish that bond that I've been talking so much about in that relationship up front. You need to really pay attention and pay attention to your dog and how they're behaving and how they're reacting every bit as much as that puppy needs you to give him a fair shot and being focused on him so he can be focused on you. While we're talking about that, I want to talk to you as any, if you've ever seen a litter whelped or how a mama dog talks to her puppies and interacts with them, she doesn't sit there and bark incessantly at them. She doesn't beat them. She might grab them by the ear, which is a huge punishment. Um, she might grab them by the neck and move them. Um If there were they're not supposed to be, she'll reach over and nudge him over, but it's not a real vocal exercise, and remember your puppy's coming from that environment into your environment. so if you teach that puppy that your environment is one that the puppy doesn't have to do anything until you yell and scream at him, then expect that for the future. but right now, you've got a puppy that's used to. Uh, taking commands and being nudged, so to speak, without being screamed at. So, you found your field, you're alone with your puppy, everything's quiet. You are set up to get going on this and make it really easy. And it's actually really kind of fun. And if you enjoy it for what it is, it's kind of relaxing. So you're going to take your puppy out of the car And you're going to walk out in the field, and it could be, you know, 20, 30 yards away from the car, maybe 40, and you're going to set the puppy down right in front of you. And you're going to watch and see. Then after a few seconds, you're going to start to walk away. And one of a few things is going to happen. Puppy's either going to sit there and cry and scream and not be having a good time or whine or the puppy's going to follow you. If the puppy decides to just sit there and do nothing but cry, won't move, is shaking, you know you're pushing that that pressure a little bit too much. So you might go pick up the puppy and move a little bit closer to the car and put him on the outside and go back to the car calm a little bit, just encourage them. Uh, Like I said, this is a quiet exercise. I don't think you should be walking around the field going here, Fido, Fido, Fido here. This is more about the puppy learning to pay attention to you. So, but if we've got someone that's uh, low on confidence and really needs that little nudge, then you can go ahead and give them that little nudge. But optimally, you want to wait and get them to the place where they're comfortable enough to kind of keep an eye on you and kind of follow you. When you get to the point where the puppy's following you, uh, something else might happen. Julie talks about it. It actually happened to me with Ruger. Is that uh puppy might decide that the safest and best place to be is closest to you. And when they're eight inches high and you're over five feet high, The safest and closest place to be to you in their minds is right between your feet. Fortunately, this is one of those habits that we really don't want to encourage and don't want to develop. And I don't think we need to stop and yell and scream, but I think that it is appropriate to take your foot and lightly move the puppy over. I don't want you to get in the habit of every time the puppy feels insecure, of reaching down to pick the puppy up, we need to build the confidence so they're fine and when I say take your foot and move him over, I don't mean kick him I don't mean launch him um, I mean lightly move him over and after you do that it could take three times it could take six times um, and take a step aside puppy will learn that you just don't really want him in between your legs that Every time he does that, he gets pushed over and he doesn't get the attention he's seeking and the love and the excitement. He gets pushed over and you can do that in the home too. But for now, we're just going to start walking. And when we get the puppy's confidence up enough to kind of hang out with us and walk with us, doesn't need to be in a heel. He needs to be out in the field with you walking. If you've got a hot puppy that's moving a little bit faster, you're going to have to move a little bit faster. And if you got a slow one, well, you're going to have to slow down. As puppy's confidence builds, puppy's going to venture out a little bit away from you. And this is the time you can throw in some turns and move the other way and Do it slowly so puppy can see you're leaving them. And as the puppy's confidence builds, another thing's going to start happening. The puppy's going to start smelling everything. He's going to start discovering his environment. He's going to start smelling bird poop, old bird feathers that are laying out there. Uh, You know, rabbit poop. If he sees a rabbit, that might pique his interest a little. Hopefully not. And I hope you don't see a rabbit. And it's one of the reasons I like doing this when they're really young. But they're starting to build confidence in their environment. And you don't know how much this is going to benefit you in the field, whether you've got a hunting dog, a family dog that you like hiking with, or uh, a hunt test dog. Having that confidence in nature to be able to smell, to be able to discover their surroundings they're going to get poked by bushes that they don't like. Uh, here in Colorado, you're going to step on a goat head or two. And I'll tell you what, man, the good Lord was keeping people on his toes when he invented goat heads. As far as I'm concerned, goatheads, mosquitoes, and ticks can all, yeah, they can all die. But uh, they're going to step on goat heads. And you know, it's okay for uh, the puppy to limp around on a goat head. Maybe he'll get smart enough to reach down and pick him out. <laughs> Between my two dogs, Trapper would always just stop and yank him out and keep going. Ruger's a little bit more of a princess, and he'll walk on three legs until you notice and go help him because he just refuses to do it. But that's Rook. Um, they're going to find out about cactus and stick their face in them and walk through them. And you're going to be pulling cactus out of them. And uh, if you're out here in Colorado and those things are all right, because those are all learning moments and you want them to be able to learn about them. A uh, funny thing here in Colorado, I do a lot of upland hunting with my dogs and we've got those damn prickly pear cactus everywhere. And Both my dogs, when they're real young, man, they go get in a patch and come back and it'd be forceps, tweezers, and wrestling a dog to get them out. But I'll tell you what's absolutely amazing is after they get into them once, maybe twice, never again. And I've taken my dogs down into New Mexico where they're even worse and run hunt tests down there. And it absolutely amazes me that a dog can run 90 miles an hour across a field that's full of cactus and miss every one of them. But I will find every one of them, especially when I'm wearing tennis shoes. Uh, So, you know, they're going to start discovering their world and figuring out what's going on in their world. And you know you've arrived when you have a dog, a pup, that's confidence is up, he has confidence out in the field with you, his tail's wagging, he's happy, he's willing to go discover and see things, but he's still checking in on you. There is no better feeling in the world than having a dog that does that. And when you have that dog, they can go out and go on family hikes with you, they can take vacations, you don't have to worry about them. Uh, be on a beach with you uh just really easy to live with and when you hunt them oh my god having a dog that will come back in and check check in with you when you're hunting is one of the best things on the face of the earth i i see guys that have gps collars that are oh crap my dog's gone and they were happy as hell when those gps collars came out uh and mine mine have ventured off on a hunt when they've gotten on a bird that was wounded or I missed. But uh, I always knew that they'd come back in and check in with me. And there's a lot of confidence as a hunter in that. And a lot of solace in knowing that I don't have to go home and tell my wife that my dog must be in the next county. And I'm really sorry. So I think this is something that we should all work to achieve. I think as you're going through this exercise, uh, as your little puppy builds his confidence, uh, start introducing other things. Find that down log to go over, that little tiny creek to run through. Uh, Be a good chance for him to get his feet wet and have to go through a creek and climb out the other side and uh, struggle to get around that log. And like Julie was talking about, you know, watch your pup. Is your pup the, the bold, bold puppy that's going to go right over the top of that log and get high centered on it and you're going to giggle about it, but he doesn't care. He's just, he followed you right over it. Or is he going to be the dog that sits there and says, you know, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to go around. Is he a thinker or is he a driver? Um, that's going to tell you a lot about how to train him in the future. So when we're out there, uh, we're just doing this walk and we're doing it quietly and we're trying to build confidence and focus on us and focus on the puppy. We aren't saying a lot. We're not throwing sticks and balls. We aren't barking out commands and sit and yell and hear. Um, We're out there to get them to focus on us and we're focusing on them. As the puppy progresses, we're going to start throwing in some obstacles, like we just discussed. Remember, some of those obstacles could be a sharp turn and a head in in a different direction. Um, It could be crossing the path of where the puppy's going and going in that direction and see if they follow. And remember that this isn't going to happen overnight. I've had people that I've worked with, and some of them like it, and some of them have looked at me like I was crazy when, you know, I go out to introduce their dogs to birds, and I know they haven't done the walk, so I kind of explain the concept, and I say, so go do the walk, and here's what I want you to do. Just walk over there. Just watch her, and just walk over there, and just watch her, and um, it always works out real well, and you end up with dogs that you aren't chasing or screaming at across a field, so once again, understand that uh this isn't something that's obedience class that you're gonna go in and sit sit sit, and work on sit. This is something that man, it could take you three or four times out it could take you twenty. Um, it's something I'm going to tell you you need to do really consistently. I, I don't know. I would love to see it done every day for a couple of weeks until you really have that connection. Um, or I don't know if it's three times a, a week for, you know, a month. Who knows? You'll know when you get there. But you're really waiting to get to that connection. And this is one of the things you are not going to rush. Take your time with them. Spend your time with them build that relationship and get them to focus on you and focus on them every bit as much as you want them to focus on you without saying much it will pay you so many dividends in the future that you may join the other two listeners that I have to the podcast series and call me out and say hey man that one was really good and if anything in the whole series uh, I think you should listen to I think This is probably one of the most important. I think it's the basis of your foundation for obedience and everything else. Uh, You know, on that note, I think everybody should be going to puppy classes. Uh, Wendy and I still take our puppies, pay for puppy classes, and go be a part of the crowd. And we do the puppy Olympics at the end and try our best to win them. And, uh... We both work with the dog in the puppy class and have just a really good time. There's a lot of value in that, in socialization and accountability. Uh, I don't think you're ever too good of a trainer to not be able to go have fun in a puppy class. It's good for you and it's good for your puppy. And if you do this walk before you go do your puppy classes, you're going to have an oh my god dog in that puppy class. I guarantee it. So... I'm going to finish it up uh, for now and close it out the way I always do and ask the good Lord to bless me uh, with my dog's character and make me the man that my dogs think I am. Um, I'm also going to tell you that uh, canine cancer is really ugly. I saw three, three friends on my Facebook feed lost dogs to cancer in the last couple of weeks. Uh, one of them was lymphoma. Uh, the other ones, is just, I can't say enough, guys. Um, I know University of Wisconsin was doing some neat stuff with the uh, WeatherTech Golden Retriever. Could probably use a uh, donation. Our own Terry Simons, who's going to be on next week's uh, episode, Talking Agility and Cancer with me. And I got to tell you guys, I'm really excited about it. It should be great. Terry's just a great guy. Uh, Does the Westminster Dog uh, agility stuff. Um, But he's going to be on. He runs and founded uh, Clear Canine Lymphoma Foundation. Uh, He could sure use some donations. He's doing a lot with donating to cures. He's doing a lot with awareness through films uh he has opened up his heart and his life to make this a part of it and he's also a really good agility trainer and his wife's probably one of the sweetest people on the face of the earth i think a lot of you probably know kim so uh tune in next week uh don't forget craig Katz and cats calls i'm a big huge supporter of him he's a taller guy his Toller is on his packaging and he makes some of the nicest duck calls I've ever been able to put my lips on. And uh, until next week, enjoy and I look forward to talking to you then.